Please stand. Again, the reading is from the book of Acts. I'll be reading in chapter 1, beginning at verse 12 through the end of the chapter, verse 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akodama, that is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptisms of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you Lord, who know the earth or know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Fathers, we open your holy word. We give you praise for what you have already done, even in our midst today, recognizing your glory, recognizing your grace, seeing the beauty of your people using the gifts that you've given them to bring you glory. We thank you, Lord, that we are not spectators, but we're worshipers. We thank you that you have made us in your image, and we need you. We need you, Holy Spirit, even now to illuminate these words which we've just heard and the preached word that we might be transformed, changed even this day because of what is present before us and who is present in us. We give you praise in advance, thanking you for this, Lord, for your glory's sake, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the disciples, the apostles, some women, 120 about, were gathered and they're waiting. Waiting is a major theme of life, but also of scripture. From really the beginning of Genesis to the end, there is this incredible witness of waiting, of God calling, commanding, exhorting, and the people of God in obedience following him, but often having to wait and just simply trust. 
We come to this passage, and I began reading in verse 12, where it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Why were they returning? Go back up to verse 4. Jesus is speaking. He says, While staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what has happened is that the Lord has declared a promise. Jesus has declared a promise. And the promise is that there is going to be this promise from the Father, which Jesus had been talking about since, since he was with them. And now they wait. No time is given. They're just told not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. To wait for what? that declared promise to be fulfilled. These brothers and sisters took that journey back to the upper room, which had to be a fairly sizable room because there were 120 of them gathering in obedience to what the Lord had told them to do. And as they gather, they they simply are waiting. Waiting for what? They don't exactly know. There's no way they could predict what Pentecost was going to look like. But they're waiting. They're waiting in obedience. Waiting is hard. Waiting was hard for them, and waiting is hard for us. Part of our witness as believers is how we wait. We, as Christians, are waiting for the Lord to return. They have been waiting for the Lord to come. Now the Lord was there. They were waiting for Jesus to do different things. They didn't expect him to be crucified, even though he was, they were told. And now they, too, have witnessed him ascend, and he's promised he's going to return, and they're waiting. Right now, every man and every woman, every child, regardless of age, in this sanctuary, on our campus, we're all waiting for something. And you know what it's like to wait. Most of us don't like it, even in small ways, waiting in line, we get impatient. But I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about big things. Infants soon, around noon, are going to begin to cry because they're waiting for their mother to feed them. They're usually the first to let me know it's time to land the plane. These little ones have to eat. And if they don't get fed, they wait. And they let us know they're waiting. As we get older, we wait for more difficult things. And right now, every person that's here is waiting for something. It could be a phone call from a doctor to say, this is what we see. It could be for medicine that you're on to take the impact or effect that it needs to take. You could be waiting for a promotion or a call back saying you have a second interview. You might be waiting for a form of sadness or darkness or even depression to be lifted. You may be waiting for a child to return. You may be waiting for a deal to finally come to conclusion so you can get the the income you need. You may be waiting for a letter from a school saying you've been accepted. We wait all the time. We can learn a lot from what we've just heard this morning about waiting because as we wait, we wrestle. And this is what we're wrestling with almost always, the goodness of God and the reality of what it means to wait and how hard it is. So what I want you to do for a minute is I want you to to imagine a line. If it's hard for you to imagine it, draw it in your bulletin. But I want you to put on the left side of your page or in your mind a, a dot. And I want you to write today's date right there, 
physically write it down or mentally, October 1, 2017. And I want you to think for a minute about what you're waiting for. What diagnosis, what word, what encouragement, what resource, what are you waiting for? And I don't mean little things. I'm talking about the things that bring you anxiety, things that don't have much clarity. You all have, we all have them, every one of us. Somewhere along that line, and just draw it across the page as far as you need to, somewhere along that line, there is going to be a moment when something is revealed to you about that thing that you want clarity on, or, or some voice that you hear that says, you don't have to wait any longer. What we need to understand in the human condition is that we don't like to wait. We want to know that date when that answer will be given. Even if that answer is keep waiting, we want to know when that's going to happen. The first thing that you can see from this incredible narrative for us is that God, the one who declared this promise, is a God who delights in process. God is as interested in the process as he is the outcome. Remember, God knows the outcome, not only the eternal outcome, but he knows the specific moment by which he is going to reveal to you whatever it, it is that needs to be revealed. The problem is we're on October 1. You might not get the right diagnosis or the right promotion, or your child might not return until, and you don't know when that date is. In fact, you don't necessarily know if the answer you want is going to be given even when that date occurs. God delights in this process. Not because he is sick and twisted. Not because he lacks goodness. Just the opposite. God delights in a process that causes his children to be dependent upon him. Even in this case of this narrative, Jesus could have said, as soon as I ascend, the Father will pour out the Holy Spirit on you. He didn't do that. Instead, they had to wait and wait and wait. In waiting, they brought glory to God because they were obedient to what he told them to do. Even when there had to be moments when they wondered, when is this going to happen? When will the Lord return? You know, most of them had to have believed, those called to write the scriptures for us, they had to believe that the Lord was going to return in their lifetime. Don't you think? I do. But he didn't. And so like them, we are still waiting. And this season of waiting for him to either call us home or to return is filled with lots of moments of waiting in between. So mark today, October 1, 2017. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for relief from something that's really agonizing? Are you waiting for something that's just going to bring clarity to your future? My friends, God delights in this process because it brings him glory as we trust him. He knows that date when he's going to reveal something to you. He knows the date in which you will be delivered, whether that's a healing this side of heaven or one that lasts or waits only until he calls us home. But we don't like this middle ground but we should trust him in it. And here's why. The God who has declared his promise to us, the God who delights in this process is also the God who delivers to us his provision in the midst of this waiting. 
That's what I want you to see. Look at the text. It says in verse 12 that they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So imagine this, this band of believers moving back towards the upper room. What are they going to do when they get there? Well, what they're going to do is they're going to discover that the Lord is meeting them in this process by delivering to them his provision. Well, where do you see his provision? Well, let's start with what they do first. The list of the disciples are there, minus Judas Iscariot, who clearly has, has taken his own life. Then in verse 14, it tells us what they do. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. That's the first provision. The provision that the Lord has given during this season of waiting for that declared promise to be fulfilled is prayer. Do you see it? They gathered and they prayed. They prayed earnestly to the one who is delivering this provision, this means of grace. And it's prayer that's mentioned first. The body of Christ, the church of God, the people of God have always had prayer. And that's why the invitation each Sunday to come to one of the corners or to one of our pastors to pray is real. Because it is a communion that's taking place with the God who tells us to call him Abba. Who says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. It doesn't mean that he's going to physically heal everyone today when we gather at five. It doesn't mean that every person that's downcast or really suffering from depression, it's going to be lifted. But his goodness is going to be revealed. His faithfulness is going to be revealed. We can believe him for those things. The disciples, this group of women, they gathered together in this place and they received what was delivered to them, the Lord's provision, and it was prayer. The second one actually is mentioned in the same verse. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. The women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So think about that. This group of people praying, just like you and I pray, includes this group of women and Mary, the one who carried God in her womb, the one whose son had just ascended before them. And now after a Sabbath day's journey, they're in this room praying to that one who was in her womb, who they saw just ascend. It's amazing. But they're together. That's the second means of grace that you see here the second provision that God has given. They were together in one accord. It is important for us to understand how much we need each other. Why gathering Sunday after Sunday is so important. Why Chad prayed for the church across the world is important because we are his people. Whoever it was that preached that sermon that was recorded into the book of Hebrews said it well as he's carried along by the Spirit. Let us not give up meeting as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. My friends, we need each other. We need each other though, not just in these large gathering, a church of 5,000 plus, but in small groups, in clusters, where if you know one another, you know what you're waiting for. You know how to pray for each other is that waiting can sometimes be agonizing and painful. So what do you encourage one another with? this provision, the provision of prayer. It's powerful. The provision of one another, it's powerful too. But there's a third. 
And it's the word of God. This means of grace that we're even using now, availing ourselves of now, is where Peter took them. Look with me at verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, 120, and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Peter, as they pray, as they experience the fellowship of being together, takes them to the word of God. And the first thing he says is that the word of God had to be fulfilled. You missed it because you're at this worship service. 9.30 was packed wall to wall, front to back. And then there were, I don't know how many second graders, but they flooded these steps and they flooded those steps. And they showed the congregation the Bible that was given them today. And don't let this be lost on you. In their hands was the living word, the sword of the spirit, the very words of God given to us that we might receive this that's being delivered to us, this incredible provision. This is his word. It points to the word. And for almost 10 minutes, almost 10 minutes, they listened to me. It was amazing. Chad said he watched it on the screen. They listened. I asked one of them, do you know my name? He said, no. (laughs) They listened to a sermonette, a little message that talked about the importance of the word of God. Peter takes the people to that place and he says, the word of God had to be fulfilled and it did. And it is being fulfilled. And one of the means that he gives us is a a church where the word is held up, where you can come Sunday after Sunday and know that it's not just neat things being spoken about, but it's true preaching from God's holy word. So the Lord delivers his provision as we wait during this time of his declared promise to be fulfilled. Prayer, fellowship, the word, it's important. But what does Peter specifically say about the word? It reveals another important lesson for us about waiting. And that is that Peter demonstrates his providence. And I really like this. Peter's not the head of the church. He's the rock on which the head of the church is going to build his church. But Peter is a man just like you, just like me. Mary is a woman just like you. I can't say just like me. She's a woman just like you. Flesh, not God. These people received this promise. It was declared. These people really began to understand that our God is a God that delights in process. These individuals, this 120, understood that the Lord is delivering to us his provision and the means of grace. But then something else is shown, and that is God's divine providence. Providence is one of those words that you, you kind of know what it means. It sounds religious because it is, but it's a very strong biblical word to describe the attributes of God and his will. Before I want to show you where the providence is in this text, I want to read the definition that we use from our own confession. Providence. God, the great creator, 
of all things doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence. In other words, when we are waiting and we're not sure what he's doing or what the ultimate answer is going to be, he is not able to learn anything. He knows the moment it's going to be revealed. He knows what is going to be revealed because he has ordained what will happen. And as he has ordained what would happen, it gives us the ability to trust that things are not out of his control. So two truths exist, more than that, but for now, these two, two truths exist for us while we're waiting. Pain is a reality of life, and it is not going to go away until Christ returns or calls you home. It's going to manifest itself in many ways, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, and it is real. But there is another truth that has a rail that must go alongside that one, and that is that God is good and does good. Psalm 119. When we fail to meditate upon the greatness of God and the goodness of God, upon his providence, then we're overwhelmed by the circumstances of this painful life. And that actually becomes a meditation too. It's a meditation called anxiety. What might happen? What could happen? What if? And all of a sudden our souls get overwhelmed by that pain, at least mine does. And so I need the example of a body of believers who have seen so much in their life at this point, who are saying, we're going to trust the promise. We're going to trust that this is going to be revealed to us and we're going to trust in the provision that he will deliver. And then as we wait, we can see that his promise is being demonstrated. His providence is being demonstrated. And they do. Because Peter takes them to the word. And what does he say? The word of God says, I'm paraphrasing now, we need somebody to replace Judas. Who's it going to be? Now watch what they do. Two individuals are put forward. Justice, Matthias. And then they cast lots. And the lot falls. And the revelation is given. And it's Matthias. As we read through Acts, picture these scenes. Picture the fact that they're people. This Man called Justice, Barsabbas, and Matthias. One of them is going to replace Judas. What did that feel like to even be considered? And they cast lots. And it's Matthias. Did Justice feel relief? Did he have fear of men and wonder what was wrong with him? Did he begin to wonder about God's goodness? Or did he just receive it? When I read this text, there's a part of me that really wishes we still cast lots. Can you imagine how easy some of the decisions would be? Roll the dice, draw straws, it's you or it's me. When I was a young, young life leader, my early 20s, 
There was a student in my Young Life group in Oklahoma City named Jason, and Jason could not figure out where to go to college. And every time we were together, and I think he was at our house almost every day, he just wore us out. And he was going to have a scholarship to whichever place. Full. He was very bright and also athletic, but he wanted to major in film. So the two schools, one was the Redlands in California, the other was the University of Oklahoma. It was close to home, were his final two choices. And for weeks, he could not stop talking about it. So finally, out of exasperation, in my living room, I said, Jason, here's a quarter, flip a coin. Heads, Redlands, tails, OU. Are you serious? Yes, I'm serious, just do it, you'll know. And he did. Heads, Redlands. He goes, is that from God? I said, I don't know, I'm only a Young Life leader. <laughs> but use that to figure out what God might be saying. He really believed that that was a lot essentially that was cast and he went to the Redlands. He hated it. <laughs> Mid-semester, he transferred to the University of Oklahoma, mid-year. It's a true story. That is not what this text is about. <laughs> but it is about a leader that God provided named Peter, who went to the scripture and went to the tradition of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, they cast lots. This was not a pagan activity. Some have criticized the disciples for this. Casting lots was never spoken against. But after this event, it doesn't occur again. Why? Because Pentecost is coming. And the next round of leaders that they pursue they don't cast lots for. But in this case, they did. And when they did, God, who had declared this promise through his son, Jesus, the father through Jesus, the one who declared this promise, the one who delights in the process of waiting, the one who provided, who delivered their provision through the means of grace, has now demonstrated his divine providence and Matthias was chosen. All of that, while they're waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. So what can you learn today? Literally today, what can you learn and write right next to that dot where you describe whatever you're waiting for? My friends, God is delighting in the process he's taking you through no matter how painful it is, to help you see that he's good, that he's in control, and that he's never gonna leave you or forsake you. Never, he can't. If you're in him, he can't. What he wants from us is our trust. So like the disciples and this group of women, Jesus' mother Mary, trust in his promise. Trust in the process that he is calling you to walk through. Trust him in that process. Trust the Lord today for the provision that he gives us every day. We don't like daily bread. We want tomorrow's bread, next year's bread, a decade from now's bread. He promises daily bread all along that journey. Trust him for it. 
It's prayer, it's fellowship, it's his word, it's the sacraments. See God's divine providence and trust him. And last thing, the whole time that this group of believers gathered, God was present with them. He's omnipresent. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was promised had not come yet, but he was still omnipresent. No matter what you are facing right now, if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit that would come and fulfill that promise is living inside you. That same God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one who promises to keep your inheritance is living inside you. You're going to have to wait. And waiting is really hard. They had to wait too. But we can learn to wait as they did. Trust him. May the Lord bless you in whatever you're waiting for to trust him in all those things. To his glory. Amen. <laughs>